0: Everybody and welcome to another episode of Kaiju Carnage. I am your host, Kyle the Kaiju Guy. So, what's up, everybody? I hope everyone's doing well today. Uh, today is going to be my long-awaited episode that I've been I've been looking forward to being able to do, but I wanted to give everyone an opportunity to be able to go see the film that I'm discussing, so that you know like it wouldn't be a whole lot of super big spoilers that's going to be happening or anything like that. So, I believe enough time has gone by that uh that I can officially do this episode um for those of you that are uh wondering, well you obviously know. You know what what film I'm doing. This is my official review of Godzilla Minus One. And for those of you that do not know At the time of this recording, it is Wednesday, okay? At the time of this recording, on December 13th, Wednesday, the film is still in theaters until tomorrow. That will be Thursday, December 14th. After that day, it is leaving theaters. So if you have not yet seen the film, you have the rest of today as well as tomorrow to go see the film. And that's it. You're going to have to wait for a streaming service or DVD slash Blu-ray to be able to see the film. So, just throwing that out there. Now, speaking of seeing the film, I have officially seen the movie four times. <laughs> um, just have. It now ties um, three other films that I have seen four times in theaters. Putting it in a very short list of like m- movies that I've seen the most in theaters. Obviously, I've seen a bunch of films one time. I've seen a decent amount of films two times. I've even seen a decent amount of films three times. Four times. The only films I have ever seen, obviously, uh, is Godzilla Minus One. 300. That was directed by Zack Snyder. Man of Steel. That was also directed by Zack Snyder. And Mad Max Fury Road. So, yeah. Like, it's a very, very short list. And I'm not going to lie. Because the film is still playing. I've told a few of my people that, like, I'm heavily considering going just one more time. To make it five times that I've seen the movie. Meaning that I will have seen this movie more times in theaters than any other film. And let's be honest here, that's probably not gonna be topped. You know, <laughs> like it's just it's just not. I, I wouldn't be able to see myself going to see a film uh six times in theaters. I just I just wouldn't be able to justify that, in my opinion. But anywho, uh so yeah, at the time of this recording I went and saw the film. Yesterday, uh, me and Kid Kong, he had been itching to want to go see it again. And so he messaged me and said that he was going to go watch it. And I was like, what time? He told me what time I had nothing going on. Uh, I am off work. I was off work yesterday and I'm off work today because I had some vacation time that I needed to take, uh, before the end of the year, or I was going to lose the time. And so sporadically in the, uh, month of December, I will be taking days off here and there. But, uh, so yeah, I told him, I said, no, I would like to go with you. I would, I would like to join you. And so we went, we both watched it. Um, for a pretty good chunk of the time we were in there, we shared the theater, just he and I, there was nobody else in there. So we were not attempting to like be quiet or any, you know, we were just sitting there having, having conversation. And then just as the film was about to get started, another, uh, individual came in, uh an older gentleman i would say he's probably in his 70s uh he had a cane uh was getting around very very slowly uh not gonna lie there was a point in the film where chris and i did not know if the man was alive uh we kind of <laughs> you know we kind of went down there and uh his eyes were closed his mouth was open and we were like uh you know, I mean, and it's a pretty loud movie, so it's like, it's hard to believe that he could have fell asleep in that, but then, uh, you know, then we would see him move, and just before we left, like we waited until we saw him moving, and we're like, okay, okay, he's good, like, you know, we, let, let, let's go, let's go, let's get out of here, but uh, yeah, uh, Kid Kong, once again, really, really loved the film and all of that, and so, yeah, the movie is very, very fresh in my brain, like I said, I've seen it four times, um, has not gotten old yet in the slightest, very, very much enjoy the film, even after viewing it four times, I cannot wait for it to come out on Blu-ray or DVD or whatever, I cannot wait to own this film, uh, you know, in physical copy, just so I can watch it anytime I want. Uh, I have not kept it a secret that I love the movie and that I gave it five out of five stars. Um, and so this will be my official review. I gave a spoiler-free review on my YouTube channel, um, just talking a little bit about it and all of that kind of stuff. So if you haven't checked that out, you know, hey, I'm always down to get some more views and everything. If you have not subscribed to my YouTube channel, please go do so. Like, I would very much appreciate it. So, thank you very much. But, um, all right. So, let's get into it. And first, I'm going to talk about the things that I liked about the film. So, first of all, the film, the main thing that I like about the film was the director, which is uh, Takashi Yamazaki. Did a fantastic job. A fantastic job. The cinematography that this dude picked, that he was able to... Like, just some of the shots that he did in this movie was fan-freaking-tastic. Thought he did a fantastic job. Like, loved him. Like, definitely going to check out more movies that that guy has done. Now, let's move on to the cast and the characters. I loved the cast and the characters of this movie. So, uh, right out the gate, forgive me if I butcher any of, any of the names of these actors slash actresses and everything, I do apologize. So first of all, first up, we have the main character of the film, which was no Ryuno, Ryu no Suke Kamaki, and he played Koichi Shikishima, who is a uh I'm gonna go ahead and throw out there um spoilers from this point on. Like, I'm going to talk about things in the movie, specifics about the movie and all of that. So, this is a spoiler-filled review. So, just throwing that out there. But, anywho, Shikishima is the main character of the film, and he is a former-slash-failed kamikaze pilot. Now, obviously, being the lead of the film, you know, he needed to do a good job, you know, because he was going to have the most screen time. This guy did fantastic in this role. Now, this guy is a prodigy actor in Japan. Um, I'm not going to get into the specifics of it. I will do that whenever I go to cover the film itself and talk about the production and all of that kind of stuff about the movie. But uh, he's been through it throughout his his young life and so like the fact that he did as good as he did is just it's it's amazing so he was fantastic in the film you can as you're watching this movie you can tell that his character tremendously suffers from PTSD not only PTSD but survivor's guilt of the war. And he does an amazing job of portraying this to the point to where as you're watching this film, you genuinely believe that he himself is like, he's going through this. Like, is this acting or does he really have like PTSD about something? You know what I mean? Like he just, he did fantastic. It was amazing. Um, yeah, like yeah, he he was top notch. Now, next up is the female lead slash quote unquote love interest in the film. We have Minami Hamabe, and she plays Noriko Oishi. I believe that's how you pronounce uh pronounce the name. Now, I say love interest. It's. Eh, you know I mean like it's it's a it's a love interest that you're rooting on throughout the film, but it doesn't necessarily happen okay and i'll I'll get into that more you know later on in the episode. She was amazing in this mill um in this mill in this film she was she was fantastic uh anyone who went and watched the movie, if you were wondering like man, I've seen her before like where have I seen her before and all that she also played the main female lead in Shin Common Rider uh, which you guys know how I feel about Shin Common Rider that was a fantastic film as well and she did fantastic in that so now this is two films that I have seen this actress in that I just thought she knocked it out of the park and did very very well in so I'm definitely going to be paying attention to her career moving forward Uh she was great. She was fantastic, very, very lovable. Um, it would it did not take much for me to fall in love with her. Not just the actress itself, but um the character that she portrays. Like she was just ah, like I, I have nothing negative to say about the actress or her portrayal in this film. Now, moving forward, we have Yuki Yamada as Shiro Mizushima. And this guy, for those of you that have seen the film, he is the uh the character that was known as Kid. The kid that was uh you know, later on after they become uh minesweepers, pretty much, he was the youngster that was on the um the ship with them, like doing their work and all of that. He was good. He was really good. He doesn't have a whole lot of Screen time, as compared to some of the others, uh, there's one part that I noticed upon in the second viewing of the film that I think it was just something that, like, you know, it happens from time to time whenever you're making a movie and all of that. Like, this is the thing that stands out the most to me about his character. And be on the lookout for it the next time you see the film. Um, you're not going to be able to unsee it. And if I have to suffer through it, you have to suffer through it. A lot of times, whenever films are being made, and it comes time for somebody to do something. For example, in this scene is whenever the entire crew is at um, Shikishima's house, his his house that he's recently fixed up real nice and all of that kind of stuff. And they're just having a little party, you know. They're getting to meet um, Noriko and uh, the child that lives with them and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, meeting his quote-unquote family. Well, Noriko... At one point, the doc, the doctor, or, you know, I I haven't introduced him yet, but I'll get to it. Uh, the doc asks for a refill of his drink. And so Noriko leans forward and, like, pours him some more drink. Well, kid, the kid, you know, in the script for while they're making it is like, well, you know, she's going to refill Doc's glass or something, or it could have been just something very generic of like, ask if anybody wants a refill, and whoever says that they want a refill, you know, they can have one. You see the kid that whenever the refill is asked for, he finishes drinking what was in his cup, and he has his cup kind of extended to get a refill, and after she refills the Doc's cup, he extends his cup forward to like get a, uh, a refill. And for whatever reason, if she didn't notice it or if she was kind of like, no, the script only said for me to refill docs. And so I'm not doing yours. And she just, you know, I don't know what the reason was, but she just like, was like, okay, I'm done. And goes to put the cup down. And <laughs> the actor that plays, um, you know, the kid Yamada, um, he, he just kind of audibly is like, oh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and sets his cup back down and then they go on with the scene. Um you know, it's just something that I noticed uh like upon the second viewing of the film. It's very small, it's just something that has always stood out to me um about that scene. Uh it's just a little mistake, uh may not have been a mistake, you know. I don't know. But uh be on the lookout for it the next time you see the film. You're not gonna be able to unsee it, I'm telling you. But uh, anywho, anywho, he did good. Uh, he's a very light-hearted, he plays a very light-hearted character. Does a very, very good job. He's very young, apparently. Um, in the film, probably portrays only about a 16, 17-year-old uh, individual. And the reason I say that is because obviously he was too young to be able to join the war. He is very, um, I can't think of the word. Like He very much wishes that he could have been in the War and fought for his country and defended his country and all of that, uh even going as far as to express at one point in the film that he wished the war had lasted longer, so that he could have joined up and been a part of it, but you know obviously that is the inexperience of youth never actually being a part of war or something like that, and obviously, if he had truly been a part of the war, he would not have wished for it to have lasted longer but he did very very good um i liked him he was like he did have a little bit of the humor that was in the film there's not a whole lot of humor in the film but yeah he was he was very 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 good so next up we have Munotaka taka aoki i guess as takibana now this is the serviceman the mechanic planes that was at the beginning of the film and then ends up playing a very crucial part like towards the end of the film uh with a plane and everything this guy is easily like as far as like if we're going to talk about the absolute best portrayals in the film i'm not talking about my favorites i'm talking about like just who performed their part the best this guy is top three easily like did a fantastic job With everything that he was handed. Like, he was given, like, you could tell, like, ah, I I don't know, man. Like, it's hard for me to even express in words. Like, for the most part, he plays, like, a very angry and depressed individual for what happened to him in the film. And, you know, uh, just, ah, he, he did amazing, did fantastic loved his portrayal and everything uh could not could not praise him more in this in this movie. So next up we have Hidetaka Yoshioka as Kenji Noda. Now this is the one in the film that is his nickname is the Doc. And he did really good. He was thrown in there I think for the nerds so that little, little nerdy people could have like a character that they would really really like. I really enjoyed him. Uh, his hair Uh, To quote my friend Kid Kong, whenever we went to watch the film, his hair was impeccable in the film. So, uh, yeah, uh, really, really enjoyed his character as well. Next up, we have the other female character that is in the film, Sakura Ando, who plays Sumiko Ota. And she is, like, not gonna lie, whenever she first pops up, when you first see her, you're gonna, you're kind of thinking like, She's going to be a problem. She's going to be that character that pretty much everyone is like going to unanimously cannot stand and can get behind and be like you're nothing but a nuisance to these people. You know, like that's the general idea that you get from her character. Very, very quickly, she redeems herself with doing an act of kindness. And then any other time you see her in the film, she's just no, she's just one of the gang. And she's fantastic and, you know, plays, plays her role very, very well as well. Like she did ah, very, very good. (laughs) Like, I know you guys are probably sick and tired of hearing me say over and over again, that top notch, fantastic, you know, very good, but I can't, I can't express in words how well this cast did. And she, she did very, very well as well. Now, Coming up here, we have my favorite, my personal favorite human character of the film. Um, Kuro Nosuki Sas- Sasaki. I believe that's how you say his name. And he played Yoji Akitsu, otherwise known as the captain. He is the captain of the little ship, that they are on where the main cast like meet each other and all of that and this guy was my favorite human character i thought he did the best um with what he was handed this guy was main the main focus of comic relief in the movie but he could also be extremely serious like his facial expressions that he would make was funny He was very quick-witted. He would just say, you know, he's the one that gave the kid the nickname of the kid as well as Doc the nickname of the Doc. And he was a very honorable man, his character. Like, he would have very honorable moments in the film. So it's like, he wasn't to be taken seriously, but then he would also, like, turn on the seriousness very, very quickly. Like, the guy was just... He was great. And... um. You know, we, like, the whole theater would just be cracking up with things that he said. Like, for example, I will give, now this is a spoiler. So we see that, like, you know, the big plan comes out as to what one way to try and take down Godzilla in the film is to use mines to hurt him. And so this guy, he, the captain, he gets, like, this big thing about him to where he's like, you know, hey, we have to try and make this last stand against Godzilla. We have to do what we can and stop him. And, you know, um this is coming from the government and one of the guys is like, I thought you hated government orders. And he said with a passion, but I don't want to see Japan in flames and everything. And we have to do what we can. We have to try and stop Godzilla. Then you hear a commotion, you see Godzilla rise up out of the waves, he destroys a ship goes back underwater, comes back to the captain, and he goes, never mind, (laughs) you know, it. he, he gets the ship started, and they just start, they just start booking it to get out of there, you know, and like, there's so many moments in the movie like that, where he just, he cracks little jokes and things like that, and he's, 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 he's great, he's, he's funny, and, um, This is going to be kind of a weird entry to talk about in the cast, but there was a little girl, very, very young child, you know, say like maybe two years old, something like that, two or three. Very, very young. Her name is Sai Nagatani, and she plays Akiko, and she is the adopted daughter of the two main characters in the film. And yeah, with that, I will go into the plot and things that I liked about the plot. So pretty much the deal with the plot is, is that this is, it's kind of like a reboot slash remake of the original 1954 Gojira, okay? So, like there are so many little nods to the original that are in this film, but then obviously it's very, very different From the original. Both films are masterpieces, in my opinion. But the plot is something that I really, really liked in the film. You know, I've talked about it on this podcast before where I will say things along the lines of nobody goes into a Godzilla movie looking to, like, pay attention to the human characters. We are there for Godzilla. We are there to see the kaiju. We are there to see kaiju fights and things like that. Like, we don't care about the human drama and all that. And for the most part, that is the reason why we go see these movies. We want to see the kaiju and Godzilla and Kong and, and all of that. And, you know, it's like a lot of times studios will not put a whole lot of focus on the human aspect of the film Because they know that that's not what people are there for. This film was not the case with that. Whenever I tell you, I was completely and 100% invested in what was going on with the human story of this film. I was 100% invested. There was not a single time where I was like, okay, wrap this up. Or, okay, it's been a while since we've seen Godzilla. You know, uh, he, he can come back now and all of that, like none of that, none of that was the case, like I loved the characters, I loved each of their own little plot developments, and and story arcs, and character developments, and things like that, I loved everything about the human element, and the plot to this movie, it 100% was not just simply about Godzilla, and that is a very difficult thing, for someone to be able to accomplish in this day and age with a kaiju film or a monster film or something like that. Like, the only other film that I know of that I will say beyond a shadow of doubt, nostalgia completely aside, so not looking at like the Showa era films and all that, the, the well, there, there's one that I'll look at. There's two other films in the entirety of the Godzilla franchise that I think was able to accomplish this feat as well. The first one is the 1954 Gojira, the original. You're pretty well invested in that movie from start to finish. No matter what's happening, no matter what character is on screen, you were invested in it. The other one is the 2014 Godzilla film that kick-started the MonsterVerse. Like, I remember going and seeing that movie in theaters... And walking out and saying, like, I have not seen a Godzilla film that had such a compelling human-side story since the original. And so it's the original Gojira, the 2014 Monster vs. Godzilla, and now Godzilla Minus One. That has all three of these films has had a very compelling human story that I was just immersed in the entire time that it was happening. So, loved it. I loved that. Now, another thing that I liked about the film, the tone of the film. This is a very serious film. Like, I said earlier that there's some comic relief in there. Don't get me wrong. When I say comic relief, I mean like a joke that's just thrown in every now and then. Just some lightheartedness. But this is a very serious film. It's There's nothing really... Like, once it gets started, like, it it really just doesn't slow down. I mean, y'all, I'm not going to talk about that yet. Okay. Uh, No, no, no. I'm not going to talk about that yet. But um, let's talk about, like, the PTSD that I mentioned earlier. Like, so there are two characters. You have the main character and the other character, the mechanic that I talked about, Tachibana. That, um, like, both of these men are suffering from PTSD and survivor's guilt the reason that they are doing this is because at the beginning of the film they are the lone survivors of an attack of a juvenile godzilla prior to him becoming mutated due to atomic weaponry and i'm going to i'm going to talk about that version of godzilla later on don't get me wrong but they go through it in this film and they go through something very traumatic and very like very traumatizing Together. And so for a chunk of the film, they are separate from one another. And we get to see things through the um, <clears throat> through the perspective of the main character, uh, Shikishima. And we see what he's going through. And that he has dreams every night of seeing people die. And he wakes up screaming. And... Like, he has moments with uh, Noriko, the female character. Like, of him just breaking down and crying. And wanting to know why he survived and everyone else died. And things like that. It's a very powerful thing. It's a very... Like, people that actually suffer from PTSD themselves. Like, it could be very difficult to watch scenes that he's in. Because of just how he beckons back to what he went through during the war and same thing with um with Tachibana like both of them whenever they get back together like there's a phrase that's echoed throughout the film where um Shikishima would say my war is not over yet Meaning that even though everyone else has moved on, and it's like a year and a half, two years down the road and everything, in his mind, he is still fighting World War II. Like, that's how traumatizing it was for him. That he feels like he is just not over it yet. And, you know, it's it's good to see a tone like this in a Godzilla film. Because it's not a tone that is seen very often anymore. We obviously got to see that tone in the original 1954 film. Okay? That that film set the standard in that regard. Throughout the Showa era, there would be some films that were serious, but did not really deal... Like, it would still be kind of goofy, especially there towards the end and everything. they They would have some serious moments. But the entire film was not just 100% serious in all of that. Um, The Heisei era, you know, same thing. Like, we had a few, um, those were more serious in all that than the Showa era, but they still had their moments of not being just completely, like, doom and gloom, and just like, oh my god, Like, like, I mean, you come out of the theater after watching Minus One Kind of feeling like you just need to scream. To to just to just let let all of that doom and gloom out of you <laughs> that that you just witnessed on this screen. Like the tone was whew, I know some people love a very lighthearted Godzilla film and they want they want it to be lighthearted and nice and funny and and all that kind of stuff. I I get it. I do. I get it. But I've told people more than once that this is the version of Godzilla, that I prefer. This is the type of Godzilla film that I prefer. A very serious film that deals with survivor's guilt and deals with PTSD and deals with showing Godzilla be like this god of destruction, wrath of nature character that he is. Like, you know, Godzilla was originally intended to be what he was interpreted as in this film, and they could not have nailed it better. Um, as a result, here's another thing that I liked about the film, is that there, were very, very, there was very little humor in the film, and I'm happy about that. Uh, I'm not going to lie, I'm not using this as an opportunity to just bash the, the MCU, but I think the MCU started a terrible, terrible trend. In which every single film that gets made, big giant blockbuster film, needs to be a comedy. There needs to be forced jokes. There needs to be this. There needs to be that in everything. And I think that, like, you know, that kind of bled into the Godzilla franchise, the monster verse, a little bit here and there, you know? Um, I'll use 2019's King of the Monsters. The character, uh, I can't remember his name because he was. One of the most annoying characters that I've ever seen in a Godzilla film, and it it hurts me that he's coming back for Godzilla X Kong. And I'm sorry, I'm I'm talking about 2019's King of the Monsters. Uh, or I said 2019's King of the Monsters. I'm talking about Godzilla versus Kong. Um, that was on Team Godzilla. The black guy, the guy that uh, did the podcast and everything. I can't think of his character's name, but. American-made movies, because of the MCU, in my opinion, they feel like they need to shove characters like him into just about every film that they do. Someone that is very quick-witted, very, just throws jokes around 24-7, always has some kind of smart aleck comeback to make, and all of that kind of stuff. It is just like, you know, it's okay every now and then, but whenever every single film that you watch just about has that type of character in it, it gets old very, very quickly. And, and I've told my friends more than once that, like, I missed the days where you could go watch a stupid action film, or a monster film, or a superhero film, or something like that, and the entire movie wasn't a comedy. Like, I, I hated it. It's part of the reason why I'm not looking forward to James Gunn taking over the DCU. And after the newest uh, Aquaman movie comes out and the DCEU is no more and the reboot is going to begin with Superman Legacy. It's part of the reason I'm not looking forward to it. Because I feel like the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy was far too reliant on humor. And therefore, the story lacked Uh, even though I enjoyed the TV show Peacemaker, I also feel that, like, you know, I would have liked more superhero, more seriousness, and all of that kind of stuff, as opposed to, it was just, it was just a comedy, really. It just was. Um, you know, Black Adam tried to be very, very forced comedy here and there. I know that James Gunn didn't have a whole lot to do with that film, or really nothing to do with that film, but it's like, you know, this this kind of thing began in the MCU and it kind of bled into DC Comics movies and it kind of bled into uh, the Godzilla franchise a little bit. Um, you know, you had the character in 2019's King of the Monsters. Um, I can't think of uh, the character's name. I really can't. But he's the one. The little smart, the smart guy. He wore the glasses, had like the white bleached hair and all of that. Um, ah, I can't think of his name. But, um, he's the one that's like at the end, whenever, uh, they asked, had Godzilla been working out and he's like, you kidding me? Sarazawa has that lizard juiced like that guy. He just, you know, he had a smart aleck comment over everything that was happening in the movie. Like, you know, we don't need that. We don't need everything to be a joke. We don't need everything. We don't need a laugh every two minutes while watching a film. I loved that about minus one, that there was very little humor. It knew that it was a serious movie, and it took itself serious. And I loved that about it. Um, so moving on to the next thing that I liked, the visuals. Okay, the visuals were fantastic. Especially considering whenever you first hear, we first heard that the film had a $15 million budget. And so you watched this movie and you were like, it's freaking amazing that they were able to accomplish the visuals that they did with only a fifteen million dollar budget, and then recently in an interview, the director of the film uh, Yamazaki said it didn't cost fifteen million dollars. He wished it costed fifteen million dollars, so they did it for even less. He's not saying how much it was. I mean, so how much was it? Ten? Seven? five i mean like how much did it cost you know to make this movie and it's like to to do what they did it's like it's unbelievable just prior to me um recording this episode i saw on tiktok uh from another podcast show that was talking about minus one and what they were able to accomplish visually for budget and all that kind of stuff like um if you're an mcu fan like, I attempted to watch the She-Hulk TV show. Couldn't get into it. I just, I did not like it. Um, yeah, I just... Yeah, yeah, no, I just I just didn't care for it, and I'm not going to get into it. Um, I'm not. And, um, you know, the visuals, the special effects are not the best. They're really not. But here's the thing. It is, it is very well reported that She-Hulk, per episode, had a $25 million budget. $25 million budget for each episode, okay? And each episode of that show pales in comparison to a movie that had $10 million less per episode for an entire movie in Godzilla Minus One. Okay? Like, it's not even... It's not even a comparison. The visuals were spectacular in this film. Now, there are a few... Don't get me wrong. There are a few moments. There are. Like, there's some of the moments, like, whenever the ships are sailing or something, if you really pay attention. I love watching water. Okay, I do. I love watching water in movies. I like watching the flow of it, of it bobbing up and down. I like watching it hit up against the sides of the ships and everything. Uh, Whenever I worked offshore... I would oftentimes come out and just be, you know, whenever in my off time when I wasn't uh, on shift, I would come out and like just stand on the deck of the boat that we were on and just watch the water. Sometimes for like an hour at a time, just watching the water, not looking for fish or anything like that, just, just watching the water. Like I just enjoy watching that. And so, yes, you know, I did, there are a few moments dealing with the water, where it does look very fake and it doesn't look legit or anything like that, you know, but uh, most special effects personnel will say that animating water is one of the most difficult things to animate. So, you know, you can can let that slide, especially considering how low the budget was and with how good they did on literally everything else about the movie. And so the final thing that I'm going to talk about that I liked about the film was Godzilla himself. Now, this version of Godzilla, he is a redesign slash variation of the Godzilla that we saw from Godzilla The Ride from a couple of years ago, okay? Like, that's official. He is a variation of that version of Godzilla. Um, I remember whenever this version of Godzilla, like, first, when the design came out for him, And I got to see the dorsals for the first time. You guys know I love looking at Godzilla's dorsals. You know I love looking at those plates. And I want the plates to look good. And I like his his dorsals. They're a little... You know, they can be... They look a little bit too much like a fan. Like, extended out and wide up at the top. You know, a little bit to me. But other than that... Like, I love the design for Godzilla in this film. Um, Let's talk about the juvenile Godzilla at the beginning of the film. Uh, Whatever he... So, pretty much what happens, if you haven't seen the film yet, um, the main character of the film, which is uh, Shikishima, he is a kamikaze pilot. He pretty much chickens out from doing his duty, and he goes and lands on Odo Island. And this is where Tachibana is, and a bunch of other mechanics and things like that. And... They openly say that, like, you know, they scoured his ship. They couldn't find anything wrong. He chickened out, you know. He, he just, Shikishima chickened out. He couldn't do it. There's no shame in that. You know, there there, there was, there's a big thing in Japan about, like, the kamikaze pilots and all that kind of stuff. And that so, like, all of the kamikaze pilots was just 100% like, oh, we're going to die for our country, you know. And, th- and we're proud to do this. Like, not all of them were. That's the thing. Like, a lot of people, there's a big misconception about that. That, like, you know, people think about, like, all of Japan is just willing to sacrifice their lives in a heartbeat for their country or anything. No, they're not. They're really not. And that, that's not exclusive to Japan. You know, like, people think, let's keep it with World War II, Germany. Everyone thinks, you know, you think Germany during World War II that everybody was behind Adolf Hitler and with what he was trying to do with World War II and the Holocaust and all of that kind of stuff. That is not the case. Not every German was like him. There were legitimate assassination attempts done by other Germans trying to kill Hitler during that time. Um, If you have not seen the film Valkyrie with Tom Cruise... It deals with the an assassination attempt, the closest assassination attempt that there was on Hitler's life. It's I mean, they got a few things wrong here and there. Uh, for the most part, it's pretty doggone accurate to the actual event itself. It is a fantastic film. I highly recommend it if you want to learn more about an assassination attempt on the inside, like from German personnel trying to take out Adolf Hitler. It's a fantastic film. Once again, it's called Valkyrie and it stars Tom Cruise. Go check it out. But um Yeah, so he chickens out. He does not want to he doesn't want to kill himself for his country. So he fakes that there's something wrong with his plane. He goes and lands on Odo Island where there's mechanics and everything. And he pretty much just stays there. And then there's sirens going on, signifying that an air raid is coming. And so all the mechanics and everybody come running out like, oh my God, what's happening? And then you hear the roar. And you're like, oh boy, here we go. And Tachibana tells one of the personnel, Taki, to light up the beach. He's up on a tower and he turns on a light so that they can see what's going on. The light hits Godzilla and we get our first look at Godzilla. And whenever I tell you 100%, I am not exaggerating this in the slightest, that this juvenile version of Godzilla is the most brutal version of Godzilla I have ever seen in my life, I mean that 100%. This Godzilla did not mess around. One, he looked great. He looked fantastic. Um, there is a Bandai version of uh figure of this version of Godzilla um it's stupid expensive right now like you pretty much have to order it from Japan at this point and so with shipping uh you would pretty much pay about 60 bucks for him uh he's not worth it in my opinion he's just not not for a little Bandai like six points of articulation figure he's just not worth it in my opinion I'll wait for him to come over here to the states but um I'm I really really hope that SH Monster Arts or even Haya Toys would do a figure of this juvenile version of Godzilla one day because it looked fantastic. Um, So yeah, this is where the PTSD and the trauma come from uh, with this Godzilla. Because this Godzilla and the reason why there's issues between uh, Tachibana and... um, Oh, dang, I forgot his name. Um, (laughs) Um... holy mackerel, Shikishima, sheesh, Uh, Shikishima and Tachibana, the reason why there are issues is because they don't really know what they're looking at. And Tachibana tells um, Shikishima to get in his plane and shoot the juvenile Godzilla to kill him. Well, whenever he goes to do so, he chickens out yet again. He's nervous. And the other men get afraid and they try to attack This juvenile Godzilla and Godzilla just wrecks them. I'm talking in the most brutal way that we've ever really seen Godzilla kill humans in the history of the franchise. Like stomping on them, smashing them with his tail, uh, numerous times biting them with his mouth and just turning around and throwing them like to the other end of the island. Like, very, very, very brutal moment. And then Godzilla leaves. And so then that's whenever the survivor's guilt and the PTSD comes from with these two characters in for the rest of the film. And so then we see that there is, um, you know, pretty much Operation Crossroads. It was a nuclear test that was done. And this is what pretty much mutates Godzilla from that juvenile form um, that we saw at the beginning of the film into the Godzilla that shows up later on in the film. And he starts attacking and destroying things all throughout the film and all of that. They did a really good job building up Godzilla and really making you anticipate his his grand appearance and everything. Um, I will go ahead and say, um, I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there. One of the things I didn't like about the film is his grand appearance, like, in Godzilla form. I think, I wish that it it would have been a little bit more fanfare, if you ask me. Because, you know, you see, like, his dorsal plates, and, you know, technically we've already seen him as a juvenile and all that kind of stuff, but, like, whenever he first makes his big appearance, he's out in the water, and it's like, there's hardly no build-up to it, there's hardly no suspense, no nothing to it, he just pops up out of the water and, and bites a small boat and then goes back under the water. You know, to me, it was just kind of like, ah, you know, I wish they had, they had done that a little bit better. But anywho, other than that, um, yeah, Godzilla is devastating in the water. He seems terrifying in the water. There is a scene where, you know, whenever he first shows up, he goes toe-to-toe with a battleship, okay? I love that scene so much, like, ah, (laughs) like, ah, like, he swims up to the battleship at one point and kind of climbs on top of it and punches the battleship, the battleship fires its guns and hits him, like, he goes under the water, you see the blue hue beginning and his atomic breath whenever it shoots up, like, let's talk about his atomic breath for a minute here. His Atomic Breath is completely different from any Atomic Breath version we've ever seen so far. Like, you know, we've seen like in the early days when it was really just kind of like a mist. We've seen where it's like this long beam, like a Kamehameha wave or something from Dragon Ball Z. We've seen where it's a very small beam, a very compressed beam, like in Shin Godzilla and Godzilla Ultima from Singular Point. This one, like, it kind of looks like a beam a little bit, but it's basically like he's shooting an atomic breath bullet, and whenever it hits and detonates, it's like a nuclear bomb that goes off. And we do not see this any better than whenever he attacks, uh, Ginza, the city of Ginza, and... Whenever he goes to fire his atomic breath, they build it up very, very well. You're like, oh my God, here it comes. And whenever he fires it and it goes off, it's my favorite scene of the entire film. The music that's going on, the devastation that happens. I mean, because whenever it goes off, there's a mushroom cloud. And we see the recoil that just goes out and just destroys this city. And then it creates like a vacuum and sucks everything back the other direction. And like Godzilla roars triumphantly after he does it. And it's just (sighs) probably the single most powerful moment of Godzilla firing his atomic breath I've ever seen in a film. And it just makes you sit there, eyes wide, mouth agape, just like... The devastation that you just witnessed this guy do. Like, oh, man. Fantastic. It's a terrifying version of Godzilla. Um, I have numerous figures of this Godzilla on pre-order. I have the uh, Super 7 figure pre-ordered. I have the SH Monster Arts version pre-ordered. I have the uh, just regular Bandai version pre-ordered. And everything, like, fantastic. I cannot wait. Like, I want so much merchandise from um, from Godzilla Minus One. I want so much of it. Like, it was, it was such a fantastic film. Now, as far as the things about the movie I didn't like. And it's, I don't want to just flat out sit here and say, like, oh, I didn't like this. It's things that's like, eh. I wish could have been done a little bit better. One thing, and this is something that me and one of my listeners, uh, Jason, Jason Kavanaugh, uh, agree upon, is, you know, big spoiler alert. We are given under the impression that Noriko dies about midway through the film. And towards the end of the film, it reveals that she survived. Now, I like a happy ending just as much as the next guy. But whenever you see how we are given the impression that Noriko died, it's going to make you scratch your head and say, how in the world could she have possibly survived that? Like, you know, like I know you're already suspending your disbelief while watching this film about a giant nuclear monster, you know, devastating Japan, but like, you're, you're gonna like kind of scratch your head and go, I, I just don't see it. I just don't see how she could have survived that, you know? Um, that's, that's one thing that I didn't care for too big about the movie. Will likely be explained over the fact that, you know, there is very likely going to be a sequel to this film. um, when we do see that she survived, uh, the camera kind of focuses on her neck and we see some kind of black substance that is on her neck that is moving a little bit here and there. We don't know what that is. We don't know if she's infected with something. We don't know if that has something to do with the fact that that's how she survived a little bit. If it has something to do with some type of radiation poisoning that she's been exposed to or something, you know, we just, we, we, we don't know. Um, another thing that I didn't too much care for, um, about the film, again, this is very, very nitpicky people, extremely nitpicky. Um, so Noriko works in Ginza and whenever Godzilla pretty much makes his landfall and goes to attack, uh, Ginza, she is in the train that, uh, Goes to get attacked. One, the train has the greatest brakes in the history of trains, and I'll, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. But um, you know, so Ginza's under attack. She is in Ginza. Uh, her boyfriend is not in Ginza. He's in a different area, and all of the, uh, he's he's at their home, and you know. There's literally hundreds of people all running around Ginza while Godzilla is attacking the place. And she gets to a point where she kind of gives up, you know, she falls down. She sees Godzilla walking towards her. She has kind of accepted her fate in a way, if you will. Um and then all of a sudden here comes Shikishima and just grabs her and he's like, Come on, let's go. And she's like, Oh, like what are you doing here? You know, like and all that kind of stuff. And it's just one of them deals where it's like, really? like you, 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 you were able to leave your home and go to this very big populated city where there are hundreds of people and just automatically was able to find the one person that you were looking for. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's just, uh, it's just, it's again, it's a very nitpicky thing. Okay. It it is. It's very, very nitpicky, but, um, guys, I'm not going to lie. That's pretty much all the negative things I have to say about that movie. That's it. Um. Could not recommend the movie more. I have tried. I've told my friends. I've posted on Facebook. I've posted on TikTok. I've posted anywhere and everywhere. To anybody. Go see the movie. Like, I cannot express it more. That this, this movie was fantastic. Um. So, currently, its box office is $53 million. That's how much it's made. It is the highest-grossing Japanese film over here in the States. It's the highest-grossing Toho film um, of all time, not adjusted for inflation. Adjusted for inflation, that record still goes to King Kong vs. Godzilla, as far as Godzilla films are concerned. Just throwing that out there. Um, as far as a potential sequel goes... The director has stated he wants to do a sequel and we want him to do one as well. Um if we do get one. You know, I would like to see another kaiju in here. Um if there is gonna be another kaiju introduced into the film uh to, to fight Godzilla and all of that. I cannot think of a better a better opponent than Angirus. You know, I, I want to see this director's take on Angiris. Uh, I think it is high time that Angiris gets some love. You know, we have not really gotten a good look at Angiris since 2004's Final Wars. Um, he was also in Singular Point, but he was not done any favors in Singular Point. Uh, I like the overall design of him in Singular Point, but uh, narratively speaking, uh, he was not handled very well, in my opinion. So I would love to see Angiris make his big return and go up against Godzilla, be the first opponent for this new Godzilla shared universe that Toho is wanting to do, just like Anguirus was Godzilla's very first opponent, way back in the fifties with Godzilla raids again. So, um, yeah, five stars, five out of five. Cannot recommend this movie enough um, when it comes out on home media. You know, Blu-ray, DVD, go buy it. Go buy it. Like, (laughs) you know, show this movie some love, show it some support. The movie was fantastic. Uh, Five out of five stars, easily, 100%. Um, I remember coming out of the theater with Emily after we first watched it. And she asked me what I thought about it. And I straight up told her, I said, that's the best Godzilla movie made since the original. And I still feel that way. So, alrighty guys, that pretty much does it for my official review of Godzilla Minus One. Um, So, yeah, hope you enjoyed the review. Um, This Saturday I will be talking about Gamera Rebirth and giving my thoughts and opinions on that, as well as talking about the uh, production and all of that kind of stuff about it, so be sure to tune in for that. And uh, just because it is the holidays, you know, you might expect to hear a little bit less from me, uh, here in December because Emily and I are going to be traveling to Colorado to be with her family for Christmas again. And, uh, so I don't know how readily available I will be to post episodes and things like that. Uh, check me out on all of my social medias on Facebook. I'm Kaiju Carnage. I have a Godzilla Ultima, uh, fan page and on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. I am Cal, the Kaiju guy. So, alrighty, guys, thank you all very much. Um, you know, let me know how you felt about the movie. If uh, you haven't reached out to me yet and all that, just let me know if you liked it. Tell me if you agree with my takes on the film or not. And, uh, you know, yeah, let's start a conversation about it. So, alrighty, guys, this was my review on Godzilla Minus One. Five out of five stars. Definitely go see the movie at the time of this recording. You have the rest of today and tomorrow to go see it in theaters. Please make sure you go do so. It's a fantastic film. You won't regret it. So, all right, guys. We will catch you all this Saturday for Gamera Rebirth. This is Cal, the Kaiju Guy, signing out.